Welcome to the SR Strategic Sourcing Podcast. My name is Gary Tinsley and I'm joined here today by my colleague Susan Rashid. Hello Sue, how are you doing? I'm very well Gary, how are you doing? Good thanks, good, good. Um, today's podcast is the follow-up or sequel uh, <laughs> to our Cash's King podcast which was delivered earlier this year. Um, so as usual, um, I'll start with an anecdote um, on this particular subject area. So I, I once went for the role of procurement and inventory director in a £200 million mail order retail business, um, 20,000 stock keeping units and a team of 15 stock controllers. And at the interview, very early on, I stated that I had never been responsible for an inventory management function. And I thought at that point, that's me not getting this job. Um, but what I went on to say was I had worked in procurement in different sectors um, for over 12 years and at a very senior level and was more than aware of how procurement affects inventory management. In fact, the inventory management people are the recipient of whatever's been arranged by the procurement people or buyers if you're from a retail environment. So if the procurement people or buyers haven't given inventory management a second thought, which quite a few of them sometimes don't, then this place is the stock controller in a really poor initial position from which it's now difficult for them who haven't got the leverage to negotiate any improvements to the terms. So I stated this in the interview um, and thought, and I wasn't that bothered to be fair, but, <laughs> but felt, well, I'm not going to get this job. And actually having explained the impact that procurement has on inventory management, I actually got the job. Um, so that's the focus of today. It's, it's for us to talk about things that procurement can do to help um, and work collaboratively with our inventory management colleagues for the benefit of all procurement and them, but more importantly, for the business. Because as we said in the last uh, podcast, you know, it's called Cash is King for the reason. If you run out of cash, that's the end of your business. Um, and there's more businesses go out of business due to running out of cash than, than not being profitable. So uh, it's a very, very important area. And we've got a massive, massive impact on that. Okay, so the first thing, uh, first topic for discussion uh, was what I've called small quantities often and simple things like a reduction in lead time. Um, so, for example, if you can reduce a lead time from eight weeks to four weeks or four weeks to two weeks, this can have a massive impact on your organisation. Um, if you've had any sort of experiences of that, Sue, along the way? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's been lots of experience in this and, and working in automotive, um, it, it's often played a big part and, and, and a reduction in lead time can make a significant difference, not only to, um, you know, the fact that you will have to hold less, a lot less stock and particularly when we've worked in a just in time or a very lean environment, um, you're, you're holding less stock, taking up less space, you need less people to manage it, um, you know, it's you've got less money tied up in stock um it can give you a competitive advantage can get it to the market quicker quite often um and i think you know reducing lead times gives you also gives you that advantage the fact that you're more able to be flexible and adapt to the peaks and troughs of demand um and you know and you can replenish the stock you know quicker than than waiting eight weeks for instance 
yeah there's, there's, there's loads of examples but they're, they're the, the key things that spring to mind for me gary yeah i like this thing that you mentioned about flexibility mm. um and, and it, yeah it is pretty agile and as i say we've both worked in just in time environments which are not talking about eight weeks to four or four no. to two talking about next day in many cases well yeah yeah not even you know with just the true just in time it doesn't even go into stock it goes to the back of the production line yeah 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 but for the just basic fundamentals you know for your relationships with the warehouse and the operation I mean you could argue they're going to be taking more frequent deliveries but in terms of their space utilization it's going to take a lot a lot less space and I suppose the big winner the big stakeholder stakeholder that you'll be pleasing um is the finance department isn't it because well, yeah go on. i was gonna say that and the sales because i can remember my automotive days um the, the sales team co couldn't accept that there was a 24 week lead time or, on a material or a fabric and we're saying you know you can't quote a customer six months you've got to quote them eight months or so and they couldn't cope and accept that so um, reducing lead times was a massive thing for us and I'm I'm talking about materials that were coming in from Japan and stuff like that at that point yeah yeah um, and that's that's yeah that's a much more difficult challenge mm. isn't it yeah um, but yeah I think it's just the, the fundamentals of you know ordering small quantities much more frequently frees up your cash improves your stock turn um, yep. And it's all real, real financial positives um, for the organisation. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as you said, will they like salespeople because you've always got that availability um, as well? Yeah, I mean, it, it satisfies the customer, doesn't it? You know, customers. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, for for me, when I'm buying sofas and stuff, I for the last fifteen, twenty years, I've gone to the same provider because they. They make it where you know where the where the showroom is, and the lead times are about four to six weeks, as opposed to if you went to to a larger chain and you might be waiting five months. Yeah, you know, yeah, especially now. <laughs> yeah, from a customer's perspective, you know you're going to go where, where you can get it quicker as well, aren't you? Yeah, 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 definitely. So that one's a simple one. Um, but it's a very, very effective one, um, reducing leads. And I suppose how can other, how could you do it? In many instances, for example, if you can provide the supplier with a better vision yes. of of what you're going to, or better forecast of what you're going to take, and give them some comfort um, that you're going to take it, then potentially that will allow them to optimize their manufacturing. And therefore, be in a position where they can support you on lead times. And I think, yeah. I think we've got a big responsibility there. I remember in my first business that I worked in automotive, we was terrible at this. We would be, we would be changing, and it was, it was because of the OEM, but we would be changing our schedules sort of a week before they were due to be delivered. And the supplier, in the end, I think the supplier had a better vision of what we was going to require than ourselves. Um, and it, it doesn't allow you to have this flexibility in your supply chain. So I think the more, to some extent, commitment that you can make, you know, sometimes we'd have three months firm and three months tentative, but that's given a supply of a six-month vision. Yeah. If you can do that, that allows them to optimise their production better 
and be more flexible to serve you. Yeah, that's exactly what we practised in automotive. It was like six weeks firm and eight weeks forecast. Yeah, um, yeah. And if I'm receiving that from you, I can, you know, I can run my machines less frequently in bigger quantities. And I, and I can possibly even afford to to hold it a bit and, and work with you on lead. You know, if I'm the manufacturer, all I want from you is a, a true and accurate forecast to allow to me yeah. to optimise my production. And some of the, the other things you need to think about with smaller quantities as well, you've got to think about, I mean, depending on what it is, um, it's movability as well, the hand, the manual handling and, yeah. you know, and, and the the ease of the transport and logistics, but also the internal handling in manufacturing, for instance, can make yeah. a big difference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's lead time. And it's, and it's, people, I don't think, really get the significance of lead time um, at times, um, but, but it's certainly in a subject about cash, massively important. Yeah. The next one... Um, and I've got, and I've, as you'd expect, I've got a story on this one as well. Yeah, <laughs> Stock proliferation and variety reduction. And that's sort of two big phrases that one is stop adding to the SKU count. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the second one is um, how can we reduce the variety of what essentially is the same thing? Um, and I think, again, if, if we refer to the guys you mentioned earlier, salespeople, marketing people, this is an area they definitely don't think about. They see bigger ranges and additions to SKU counts as more things to sell, more things to market. Um, but if you talk to the guys in the warehouse, it's a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> and for us in, in, in procurement and inventory management. Um, so go on. I was, I was going to say, this. You, uh, do you remember Trunkies? Yeah, yeah. They're still, they're still around. Yeah, I yeah. Can, I can remember, and I don't know where it was in the came, in, came through the Dragon's Den, I can't remember. But I always use this when I was teaching as an example. When the first Trunkie became available, it was blue, and I can't remember the name of it, but I just know my son had it. And it was the only, <laughs> the only variety of Trunkie available. Yeah. And then before you know it, within a couple of years, there was all sorts. You can buy zebras, you can buy giraffes, you can buy monkeys, all different types of, um, all the same thing, but different yeah. colours effectively. Now yeah. that gave me palpitations. And then that's why I think they did the limited editions, because all of a sudden they've, they've in, increased their skew count, the variety of the same product, which yeah. gave too much choice. And you can imagine... The, the, I mean, for me, it would give me nightmares as a as a, as a buyer um, having to produce all these different. So all their efficiencies would have gone down because of all the different varieties that have to buy, and the cost would have gone up. And yeah, and that's why I think they took up. They were about sixty, seventy pounds, weren't they? Some of the limited edition ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I remember them well. We had a cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My wife pulled my daughter far too fast around the corner and she was sat on it and flew across the room. <laughs> I love it. And the chunky relationship went downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll carry it. Um, anyway. Um, but yeah, no, you're totally right. I mean, my, my example is from my education buying environment. We, we used to supply schools with um, water-based paint for the kids to paint with primarily in, in primary schools, you know, with the with the bibs on and whatever. Yeah. And we had looking through our catalogue, 
we got to the point where we had over 400 variations of paint bottle, like two mil, 220 mil, 250 mil, 270 mil. So we had all these mad up to like 600 mil. We had about 30 odd colors um, and we had six different bottle cap styles uh, from a numerous suppliers as well. And I said to the art and craft buying team, I want you to get this down to 30. Well, they nearly had a seizure. Well, we can't do this. We can't do this. So why can't we just have 300, 350, 400, 450, one bottle cap type and about 15 colours. Um, and they didn't get there, um, but we did get to about 40 or 50, something That's like great, that. Massively, massively. I got them up. I got every, I got the warehouse to pick one of every bottle and put it in a room and said, do you think that's right? 400 and odd bottles of paint, different. And they were like, mm, well, maybe not. Mm. And the other thing with these paints, we might have mentioned on a previous podcast, is they had a shelf life of a year, yeah. after which they go solid. So you may as well use them as a hammer. So we had another issue that we were having to write off loads of this paint. Um, but the thing about it is, if you think about, well, what benefits did that bring? Well, we, we got rid of, about 350 warehouse locations. When we had to run them out, but we got rid of about 350 warehouse locations, which created enormous space in the warehouse. We placed far less orders. We rationalised the supply base, I think, to no more than two. Um, and, you know, less invoices to pay. I mean, the efficiency benefits were massive, but the warehouse and operation benefits was also massive. We, we carried a lot less stock. We turned the cash and um, turnover-wise, I can't even think there was even a difference. But if there was, it was negligible. But in terms of for the, the whole holistic business impact, massive, massive. And all it was was over time, people just don't think like this. And a, and a paint seller would come in and say, oh, we've got this new range of paints with yellow ochre and sunset orange. Would you like, oh, yeah, we'll have that. We'll add that to our range. And, and it had just got complete. And what about this new bottle cap type? Oh, yeah, that's good. And it was a sales dream. Um, but, yeah, so we did that and we got the skew countdown, um, you know, quite significantly. And it had, it had a huge, huge benefit in terms of um, variety reduction. Um, and I've got, I've got, again, I've got quite a lot of examples of this, to be honest with you, that we could do. It's, yeah. a, it's a really, really good exercise and again it's, finance guys wordhouse operations guys absolutely love you for this the, the ones that may have the issue that you've got to engage and explain why is sales and marketing um yeah. but that aside it's it's, it's it is without doubt the right the right thing to do yeah i i think of i think of this in all parts of my life but you know i think about <laughs> it gym classes you know, I look, I look at gyms and you see there's 36 classes in a week and I'm thinking, they're all variations of very similar things. And I think, yeah. well, you know, rather than having, you know, three or four people attend each class, if you actually reduce the variety, you'd have, yeah. more, you'd have 10 or 15 or 20 people in a class. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think how many other, you know, how many people running their businesses don't think about that you know and I, I think when I go in walk around B&Q and home base and you know all sorts all sorts of other other shops 
I think the same when you look at the variety that they've got on the shelves. I'm sure they know what they're doing, but I, I still think, you know, even with paints, Gary, how many variations yeah. of green can you have on the shelf? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, without doubt, without doubt. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So that's so that's that one. But again, that can have a huge impact. Um, next one on a similar theme, really. Um, yeah. Skew rationalization and optimization. So another thing that I did when we was there, which again uh, was quite drastic. As I said at the start, we had twenty thousand skews, um, and we had they were all stratified in triple A's, double A's, A's, B's, C's, D's, etc., etc. Um, but we had 4,000 D-lines. Um, and D-lines are like minimal, minimal selling lines. So I made a call of let's discontinue the 4,000 D-lines. And again, that that had, the, the buying team really wasn't happy with that. Um, and But my, my strategy was I'm going to do it and then I'm going to let them argue about the ones that they think you just can't do this. You just can't do this. Mm. So I think we discontinued four thousand lines, and I put about uh, and put about fifty of them back in because the buyer presented a really good argument. So I think we had probably discontinued something like three thousand nine hundred and fifty lines. Again, what impact does that have? Huge. We we was in an environment where we owned two warehouses, but we was. Um, you know, renting pallet space out just another three. This allowed us to get back to just the two that we owned. Um, so again, huge finance benefits, huge uh, cash flow benefits, and minimal in terms of um, you know sales loss, if anything. And again, the holistically, the right thing to do. And then I back that up with another strategy of. Um, if you want to add us again to the buying team, if you want to add a new SKU, a new stock keeping unit, that's okay. As long as you can advise me as to which SKU you're going to, you're taking out. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them add any new SKUs without removing one. Um, and it, because that would have gone back to stock proliferation, they'd add new SKUs for fun on a daily basis. Um, so I'd, so I would, I would ask them, okay, so you want to put this new SKU in, Okay, which one are you taking out? And then let's have a chat about this new skew. And you'd say things to them like, what's the minimum order quantity? Oh, 500. And how many are you planning to sell a year? Um, 200. So that's two and a half years worth. Nope, we're not adding that. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 It's just simple stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. What's the minimum order quantity? Oh, I don't know. Well, I suggest you go and find out. And if it's yeah. more than three months worth, don't come back to me. Um. And um, you really, because because for them it wasn't their priority. Their priority was sales, and yeah. I think it'll sell well, and that's it. And I can get it at a decent cost price, and I'll make a decent margin. Happy days. Well, no, it's not happy days if it's on twelve week lead times and a two year minimum order quantity. Um, and so yeah, so I used to scrutinise every <clears throat> every new skew added, and and anything over three months, I wouldn't let them do it. And I wanted a skew that he was taking out on um, every occasion. As you can imagine, that was quite fractious for a while. But eventually they got... Well, they, they saw got... the benefits of it. The stockholding yeah. being reduced and the turnover increasing. Um, yeah. And I, I think... I got you... used to it as well that they wasn't going to get it through. 
Yeah, well, that's it. Well, without a good case, so that would make them actually communicate with, you know, elements, other elements of the business. So speak to the salespeople, think about mm. the turnover, then ask the right questions about, yeah. you know, the lead times, the minimum order quantity, the minimum value quantity, or whatever else it is. It, it, yeah. I think it's um really really great, and yeah. Yeah, and I'm just just making them actually, and you just nailed it there. Ask the suppliers the right question. Yes. Yeah. The best time to get the best lead time, the best time to eliminate MOQs, is at that outset when you're thinking of putting it in your catalogue. Yeah. Once it's in and with the stock controller, the stock controller's got no power. No, and I think as well, once the suppliers get their head round that actually, you know, it's got to be something that moves. You know, and the minimum order quantity needs to be at a reasonable level. They'll, yeah. they'll, you know, they'll only present to you um, the right, yeah. you know, the right package, really. Yeah, it's like an education through the supply chain. You're right. Yeah. And it's um, more the suppliers are gonna, you know, the more they sell, the better. So yeah. this is the risk with with lower value items. Yeah. That they just sell them in bulk because, but actually, they like you quite rightly say that could be two years worth of stock that you're yeah. sitting. It's dead money. Yeah, and if you ask me, if I'm your supplier and you say to me, "What's the MOQ, Gary?" I say five hundred. And if and yeah. if you say, if you say, "Okay, happy days," that'll do me. Yeah. But if you then, but what you need to do is say, "Well, hang on a minute, five hundred, even six months stock, we can't take that. It needs to be no more than two hundred. And I might say, "Okay, then," you know what I mean? Or I might say, mm, "Well, actually, at two hundred somewhere else, don't you?" 200 i'm gonna to have to charge you um instead of a pound one pound one pound and five and that might be the right business decision to make to say well you know what okay we'll take we'll pay one pound and five because we need to turn the stock or like you say well okay if you can't do 200 or you want to charge us more then no problem i'll go i'll have to go and try and find something else again at which point i might say go on then i'll do 200 yeah. <laughs> but yeah. if you don't challenge me i'll just say 500 yeah, of course, of course you will, of course you will, and you know you you can do this all sorts of all sorts of uh, products, can't you? Yeah, I think is I think the thing is is chat. You know, you're right. Do it at the offset because it's harder to start negotiating afterwards. Yeah, but if you well, are going to approach this skew rationalisation, part of your conditioning should be informing the suppliers that this is what you're going to go through and these are the things that you're going to look at so they're conditioned and ready to present you a, a better opportunity yeah that's right so yeah and i just remember i'm just sat back thinking about the time now things are coming back to me yeah. I, eventually, I eventually put in place a new product edition form yeah. um, so instead of as, as well as a new supplier edition form i had a new product edition form and, and that, at the bottom which one you're removing <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that would, yeah, yeah, all these criteria would be on there. Doesn't, doesn't it make, look, and if the suppliers know this, Gary, wouldn't, you yeah, know, it makes them compete with one another. Because yeah. they're at risk, aren't they? If, if their product is not one of the best sellers, or they're not giving you the, the right profitability, they're going to, the right margin, they're going to move, they're going to do something about it, aren't they? Yeah. And it was like a checklist for buyers, right? I need yeah. to ask about the MOQ. I need to ask if there's an MOV. I need to see what the lead time yeah. is. I need to work. And, and then, they, then they bring me the form. And you are right. The bottom of the form was, what skew are you removing? Yeah. Um, and we'd look at it and I'd look at the form. And if it wasn't filled in, nope. Or if it was, I sound quite harsh here, but I was quite harsh in this stuff. Um, and I'd be like, you know, 
Uh, that's six months MOQ. No, you need to go back and do it. Well, they won't do any more. And every now and then, you know what? Every now and then I might let one through because it's this going to sell massive and it's going to be really profitable and we can't possibly get less than six months MOQ. And if it was the right, I wasn't stupid about it. If it was the right thing to do, then maybe, but that really would be an exception because it really wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, or maybe at that point, I'd pick up the phone and ring the supplier and say, you know, six months isn't good enough you need to do something yeah um, but a big big area and again for cash flow massive and that finance guy you know loved it <laughs> uh, you know it's, it's 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 like one of my dreams this is is to, <laughs> to look at someone's inventory and, and do exactly what you have done there Ian, you know? yeah yeah oh, oh yeah it rolls on it rolls on hang on <laughs> so then we went to so let's move on to the next one um um yeah consignment stock and vendor managed inventory now here um consignment stock is effectively when the supplier's stock's held on your site yeah and you only pay for the stock that's used uh and then it's the supplier's responsibility to come in and replenish that stock okay so that's great for you because that means um you only you know you use it and then you pay for it but that rest of that stock isn't yours even though it's sat on your site so you've got that visual knowledge that it's there like that, that comfort etc you probably pay a little bit more for that uh but in terms of cash flow uh really strong but then you've got the next step which is vendor managed inventory which is where effectively the supplier holds just i suppose one of the downsides of consignment stock is it's taking up space in your warehouse yeah whereas with vendor managed inventory it's the same principle but it's sat on the supplier's site and you call it and probably get it um, next day next we day. used to with automotive yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's massive massive cash flow um, benefits so you used to do that did you did you do both or did you yeah. just do um, we, we did do both um, we used to do it where we called it off um, and we'd have a visual of you know when I say visual I said you know a spreadsheet with what, what stock they've got in for us uh, under the vendor managed and we'd just call it off and the next day it used to come in but we also used to have consignment stock on site as well and used to use the, the zappers, the scanners to scan the material in and out, yeah. etc. Yeah. Um and, and and like you say, the consignment stock was, you know, there was always the risk of someone removing it without actually scanning it, um, which gave us a bit of a headache. Yes. Um, yeah, but the, the vendor managed inventory was always more their responsibility. Um, which was, you know, where, where I liked it, really. Yeah. And you only get charged for it as and when you use it, which is what I liked about it as well. Yeah, definitely. I suppose you know, it's a good point, though, though. The consignment stock risk is somebody takes it and doesn't book it out yeah. and you might have some that sort used... of re reconciliation issue. Yeah, yeah. That used to happen a lot in, in you know, the automotive company that I work for. It used to happen yeah. a lot and it used to drive me insane because it was always... Yeah on the buyer to sort it out and sort it out now yeah yeah, yeah. at the end of the month and there's not a lot you can really do apart from adjust the quantities i, I will yeah adjust the quantities um or have a really 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 strong relationship with the supplier um where they look after you and send it down same day or something like that yeah yeah it, and i suppose the other one is vendor managed inventory i guess the challenge is uh maybe some sort of periodic check to check that they're actually holding it for you yeah well, well yeah that's what we did just on a weekly basis we just have an overview of, of what what they actually were holding 
um, and we used to go on site every, every quarter to just do a visual, you know, a literally physical yeah. visual check. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, we, we never really had problems with that, which was great because a lot, a lot of the material was dedicated for us anyway. Right, right, fab, fab. Okay. Um, so, moving on, I now want to talk about um, stock reduction in itself, because um, you may find that, uh, especially if you're new to a, an organisation, which I found twice, that you you inherit an enormous amount of aged stroke oh, old yes. stock. Um, and that stock needs shifting. So that stock, that is your cash just sat on a shelf. And if it's over two years old, you know, what, what condition is it in? Can you still sell it? Um, Etc. But you've got to try and do something to liquidate um, that stock. So all the things we've talked about so far, like proactive actions to do it right going forward. Um, but you might inherit you might inherit an issue um, and you've got to try and then retrospectively go back and just somehow shift it. Um, So I think it's important to categorize that stock by age. So like over three months old, over six value. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Over a year, over two years, but yeah, like you say, age and value. Have you ever had this type of experience too? Yeah. Yeah, I have, Gary. Um, I inherited, when I worked at one organisation, Automotive again, um, I inherited a list of fabrics. We we manufactured car seat fabric. Um, so, you know, literally buy it in at yarn, go through the seven phases, dyeing it, weaving it, knitting it, whatever it was, pulling it. Um, and yeah. it ended up with fabric with foam uh, laminated to the back of it. And that's how it used to go out to our customers. Um, and and you'd be responsible for certain fabrics. So I inherited this massive list of fabrics with, and when I looked at the stock at the different phases within the business, uh, that was all my responsibility. So I, you know, I started exactly what you said, um, aged it and then looked at value and then went and asked loads of questions. And and as, as a consequence, there were some obsolete fabrics that, you know, was no longer used. You know, it, it'd gone past the run out that we didn't need to keep any for servicing, you know, to replacing car fabrics and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so that was literally scrappable. It was just waste. Um, obviously, the more... The, the more complete it was as a as, as a skewed, i.e. with laminated fabric, the more expensive it was as well, which was a bit of a disaster in some cases. But we did manage to um, sell some of the fabric to our customers to get rid of it, to say, look, we are going to dump this now or you can have it at this price, just, you know, to at least recover the costs. Um, but also what that introduced was when customers were placing orders, um, we then started to consider... Well, actually, if they're buying, I don't know, 6,000 metres of this fabric, what does that mean in yarn? And we'd actually get them to agree to pay for the whole batch of, because, of course, minimum order quantities, etc. the batches are made up in so much size, we'd actually get them to agree to buy that. So any stock that we were held was actually covered by, by the customer and was ultimately going to go out the door. But prior to that, um, there was none of this in place. It took a lot of coordination, a lot of hard work, but it, it was very, very successful and it changed a lot of the practices, um, you know, in terms of 
working with the customers and the sales team and um, manufacturing. Um, but but yeah, I think that's that's where we started to try and start and do all sorts and then actually challenge why are we holding so much fabric in different areas? What's the what's the cause of it? And and challenge, and all sorts came out of the woodwork. And it was this project went on for about two years, but we was incredibly successful um, in reducing to a point that we went from being um, so I, I would say extremely agile to incredibly lean to almost anorexic <laughs> you know and then we had to balance it up because if a machine went down it would cause us a headache um, but it was a, it was really interesting and um, it changed a lot of the practices in the business which was which was really interesting and that and that again it's all about the communication and talking about the impact of the sales team um, agreeing a contract without consultation with the procurement or, or you know or manufacturing for instance yeah yeah and i think therefore and you, you know your, your cash benefits would have been massive from that oh, project. yeah and even your profit um profitability because your efficiency gains would have been huge um yeah. so yeah no, I, think, I, I think i can't remember the exact figures but I can remember it being we reduced our stock holding by 30 odd percent. Yeah. Well, that's going to have all sorts of reciprocal benefits Yeah, yeah. Um, for the organisation. Well, it did. We actually reduced a warehouse. I mean, it was so yeah. bad. We had we had warehouses outside our warehouse that we were housing this fabric. And of yeah. course, out of sight, out of mind. And, and you have all that problem with obsolescence. You know, it could got damp, it could get wet, the, the foam the foam could you know, disintegrate. Yeah. There could be all sorts of problems and it's not stored in the right, right conditions, too much heat, too cold. You know, it can cause all sorts of problems. Um, yeah. But but it, what, yeah, it, it did have a massive impact on the business. But we did mm. reduce the amount of warehouses that we were renting as well, which is good. Yeah. And that first point you made there was so dangerous, isn't it? Because I totally agree with you. Out of sight, out of mind. Yes. And if I'm the warehouse that's renting new space, I'm, I'm, it. <laughs> I'm absolutely delighted, yeah. It's 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 like fantastic. It's easy money, and if, and and I've heard I've heard from nobody from that organisation for eighteen months, but they just keep paying every week for this brilliant. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's it is it's so dangerous that. Um. But yeah. So but things to, obviously, you know, we need to try and shift it somehow, even if that's some sort of special offer, yeah. or uh, discount it, or and like you say, ultimately, really. Um, if you need to, you need to scrap it because at the end of the day, it's 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 just falsely inflating your stock. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it depends on the nature of the business, doesn't it? Because yeah. you know, for, uh, my my experience talking about car building and and etc. So if the car was stopped building and that fabric was stopped used ten years ago, we yeah. we only you know contractually had to keep seven years worth of seven years worth of service stock. Um, yeah something along those lines um so you know once it's been sat there for 12 years you know you're just not going to sell it yeah yeah oh is anybody else we're back to us the redundant stock as we'd call it in yeah, six redundant, yeah. could somebody else redundant we've no use for it but has somebody else got an opportunity to use it yeah um but yeah i think it's key um you know and and, and even if you have to, well, you'll not get a lot of money back for it. Like clearance specialists, 
yeah. at least you'll get it out of your warehouse and at least you'll get something, liquidate something. Well, and, and it's more sustainable, isn't it, if, if you're yeah. recycling it? That's that's the comfort. Yeah. But I, I, yeah. I have to say, a lot of ours just went to the skip, really. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, the stuff that we couldn't definitely couldn't use. Yeah. But yeah, I think but I think this is this is a sort of a an area that nobody really wants to get involved in, uh, <laughs> isn't it? There's no glamour in this area trying to get trying to liquidate old stock. Um, but for your business, it's it's really important because this <laughs> can quickly get out of hand, and before you know it, you've got this big chunk of stock that's over yeah. eighteen months old. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I love those days though. I can remember, you know, looking in the warehouse, thinking, "Oh my God!" Running in between all this fabric, rolls of fabric that have stood like eight feet tall, you know, and I'm running in between it all, looking at it all, and thinking about where I can get rid of it too. And yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah. Could do yeah. that now, health and safety. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe not that bit, but the the uh, the, the the stock shifting bit, we certainly yeah. still have to do. But that's, um, that's the thing, Gary, and I think. I love the fact that every week I was presenting um, to our board the figures. It weren't just me. There were other people in the team as well presenting on their fabrics. The board, the target of stock reduction and seeing it come down, it's really motivational. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so let's move on to our final area. And again, and we've touched on this already because you're bound to on a subject yeah. like minimum order quantities and minimum order values. But again, I think, as we discussed earlier, this one's massively important for people to to think about it and to and to like my example from earlier. If it's over three months, it's not going on. Yeah. Uh, and that buying people, procurement people, really need to consider this. Uh, and I'll give you an example. In, in one of my other roles, we had a we had a range of um, Wellington boots, and we had an MO, and we had a huge quantity of like size one Wellington boots and and, and, a, and a big pile of size 14 Wellington boots. And I said to the person there, he'd been there, you know, I, I was pretty new in. I said, why have we got all them size 14 Wellington boots? And she says, well, there's an MOQ of 200. And I'm like, do you know two with size 14 feet because I'm pretty sure I don't in fact I don't think I even know two people with size 14 feet and she said well yeah but the MOQ is 200 I said that's unbelievable I said for like sizes I don't know 5 to 10 maybe that's alright but if you go below size or maybe for for females I don't know so sizes 2 to 7 you know what I mean is alright but once you go below and beyond um, then you, you can't do that and she's looking at me like I'm crazy, and I'm like, why don't you just why don't you just buy one pair of size 14 Wellington boots? Why don't you arrange something with a supplier that's actually got them? That if you get an order for them, you can buy them from them, and you'll get them in a week or whatever it is, or, or earlier maybe. Um, and yes, you will pay more for that pair of Wellington boots. You should sell them for more too. Um, but real, but holistically, total cost of ownership, it's the right thing to do, and it was just reflecting from lazy poor procurement of, well the MOQ is two hundred, I'll just buy two hundred, and I think there was one hundred and ninety eight of them just sat on shelves, yeah. <laughs> and they want some moving, you know, when you're trying to move them out, you want, <laughs> there's no market for them, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, it, I, it, I agree, Gary. I think I think um, it is it is it, it infuriates me. It is lazy procurement. Yes. Yeah. Is um, and in in some cases it's legit. You can't you know wherever you go, there's a minimum order quantity. However, I do agree it is lazy procurement. Um, any any supplier that presents me with a minimum order quantity or minimum order value, I would always say challenge, challenge it. Yeah. I'd rather pay more and hold less. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's like it's it, it's um. It's just like yeah, it's just the wrong thing to do, isn't it? Uh, and so it's bad. So MOQs, MOVs is another one. Yeah, and minimum order value has to be three hundred pounds an order, and you and you again that would could easily get you into buying a f far bigger quantity than you should. So they're as bad, you know, or, or maybe planning your working with inventory management to maybe order less frequently to sort of manage that minimum order value if you can't get rid of it but my my first protocol on both minimum order quantities and minimum order values is eliminate them um and then if you can do that and reduce your lead time too then that's a you know that's a far better situation to be in for the inventory management person yeah i know I, I, I completely agree yeah. Okay. So for me, and that, that's sort of the final one that I had, I think I think what it says here is that in procurement and I mean in fairness, inventory management guys along the way will constantly be trying to improve the situation. But that but but the but I think what's key is that procurement and buying, depending on what industry you're in, initially get it right up front and do, if they get it totally right up front. And that makes it easy for the inventory management person, and they just they can just get sit around the job checking, you know, bringing the stocking. Um, but if you don't do it and you don't even think about it, then you're creating problems always. Yeah, I've I've just just thought of an example, Gary. That yeah. um, you know, when I, I was teaching people from the NHS and the you know some inventory guys. I mean, I'm talking this is 15 years ago. But one one of the classics, they, these guys were stock controllers, etc., and responsible for ordering stock. And they said one of the biggest problems they experience is that every single ward has a store cupboard of its own. So yeah. occasionally they'd come down, take loads of stock out, they'd go and fill it, fill their store cupboards up. So their systems will tell them that they've got low stock and they need to replenish the stock. So they'd order stock that would actually so say that they'd have 200 items removed in a week yeah and so they'd replenish that stock but then and they'd replace it to 200 but then that would be like another six or eight months worth of stock just sat there so that's a whole nother that's a whole another thing actually managing inventory yeah replenishing it isn't it but, but yeah did, and i think that's that's scary in itself because i think well the nhs have just spent all that money holding it might be I don't know, 200 grand worth of stock. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose what you're talking about there is on one item. Bu buffer all over the place. Yeah, the Buffers. buffer. Bu every, yeah. every, every ward had buffer stock. Our good old... That's the whole education thing again, isn't it? It's educating. Yeah. Our good old friend Taichi Ono will be having a nightmare with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Uh, yeah, because that that <laughs> now you're getting into the wastes, aren't you? And we, we, we should perhaps go into that. We should perhaps do one on waste. Another discussion, yeah. But uh, but you are right that um, you know, it's if you're holding buffer all over the place to protect you on in what you're describing, they're an incredibly local environment. Then again, bigger picture, you're tying all your cash up. Yeah. Yeah. I find out wondering why, you know, they've got all the, the pain for all this and stock. And the stock's not moving. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. That's, that might... how it, that's how it starts, isn't it? It and certainly is. It's all effect. And... Yeah, yeah, that could be another one for We'll be, we'll be <laughs> here again. Cash is king. Yeah. I, I, article three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, there is, there is so many. Yeah. I mean, that is another good point, actually. Maybe we do need a, ch a chat on that. Uh, as another discussion point for us but i think that one um, sort of draws us to the end uh, on, yes. on this one um and it's been great obviously we'll the podcast will go up live on all of our usual sort of environments um spotify and numerous other podcast environments and obviously be on our website as is the article um in this area Okay, so that's great. So thanks very much um, for that. And thank you, Sue. Thank you very much, Gary. I really enjoyed that. Cheers. And I will see you, I'm um, sure, for our next interesting discussion. So thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.